My name is Scott Chaloner and this is the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a dark and dreary day here in the capital and the Prime Minister's grim message over the spread of the Omicron variants of COVID hasn't particularly helped to lift the mood either, but I'm delighted to say that my guest on today's programme to hopefully try and add a bit of brightness to affairs is Anne Thomas, Chief Executive Officer of Cornwall Care. Um, Anne, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks very much for inviting me. Now, Anne, I feel it would be useful to get straight down to business on what's going on in health and social care within your area, because um, we record this podcast at a time where Cornwall's health and social care system is in crisis. And that's not just your view, but that's also the view of sector operators all over the country that are sort of looking into your situation. Um, What, in your view, are the main drivers behind this so-called crisis? Why is there a crisis there at the moment? Well, the problem is that all of the um, shortages and um, challenges within the health and social care system are coming home to roost at the same time. And how that's playing out is that we know it's really difficult for people to get GP appointments. We know that people are turning up to the hospital with emergency needs, which are struggling to be met. So in Cornwall, they've very often got huge queues of ambulances outside the hospital. So the front door, as they call it, is very crowded. And then there are um, people stuck in hospital beds who really don't need to stay in hospital and could be discharged through the back door into either community support in their own homes or in care homes. And as uh, social care providers, we are really struggling to have enough staff to enable us to safely take people into those services. Cornwall's in a... um, a very unique position of being very highly um, dependent on the tourism industry and Mm. everybody having staycations this year has meant that a lot of staff have been enticed away from care jobs because uh, the tourism industry can pay higher. And as a result, if people in Cornwall need to call for an ambulance, they're having enormously long waits. Some people are having their emergency treatments cancelled because the facilities are just not able to cope with with the numbers of people and as care providers we have empty beds that we just can't staff so that we can't pull through people through the other other way and what is the reason why social care isn't in a position to offset that problem by taking on patients that are ready to leave nhs hospitals it's mainly sort of staff shortages which are causing that issue isn't it Mainly staff shortages, yes. It's the fact that um, social care is not a a job that is widely celebrated and uh, valued by society or by politics. Uh, It's always seen as second class to the NHS. It doesn't get the plaudits and the applause that the NHS jobs get. And because of the way that social care is commissioned, we can't compete with pay. So I've had situations where people have been enticed away to go and work in a kitchen. Uh, they can be paid in Cornwall £20 an hour to wash pots, and I just can't compete with that. And that just means that we are losing staff to go and work. You can't blame them. Go and work somewhere that's less stressed and is better paid. And as a result, we are really challenged for the number of people that we've got working in our sector. 
And while that problem is there, it's not just having an impact on social care providers, is it? It's having an effect on the entire health system because that flow of people going through health and social care services, that flow is being stemmed and therefore the NHS is unable to respond to new emergencies, isn't it, effectively? Absolutely. And I think the, the big challenge is that these things are always reported through the window of the NHS. So the NHS is struggling, the NHS mm. staff are tired. I think, yes, the NHS is struggling, but part of the reason is because we are struggling. Um, but until it is, it is reported and it is accepted that social care is, is uh, equally as important part of the system as the NHS. If one fails, we all fail. And uh, we need to have that kind of recognition that we're all in this together. And I think people think that they, they don't need to worry about it because they don't need social care themselves yet. But the message I need people to hear is if, if people in Cornwall want to dial 999 and an ambulance arrives, then we need support in social care to make sure that that capacity is is open and able to take people to relieve the pressure to enable the NHS to function. And obviously the staff shortage is preventing social care from being able to offset some of those struggles from the health service. Um, you talked about sort of the perceptions of social care as one particular issue there and obviously the fact that wages is another problem. Do we think that maybe now this is an ideal opportunity to sort of really address the perceptions issue? Because through the pandemic, there's been an awful amount of goodwill toward health and social care workers for the effort that they've put in. They've gone above and beyond, of course, during the uh, the health crisis. So if used correctly, is there an opportunity there now to sort of make good use of that goodwill and to try and pull more people toward the industry, do you think? I think there is, but I think it needs to be a concerted effort with a, a joint approach across uh, across politics and across our, with our health colleagues. People just don't understand the size of, of, of social care in, in the country. They don't understand how much provision it, it provides and um, the size of it. So if we just think, so we've got 15,009 care homes in England providing bedded care for 418,000 people. But the NHS has 850 hospitals with only 123 overnight beds. The size of, of social care provision is enormous compared to the NHS, but because of the way it's commissioned and the way it's fragmented, we don't have one single body. We don't have one representative sign or framework. People don't really know what it means. But when people talk about the NHS, everyone thinks they know what it means. So I think it's a huge educational piece that's needed for people to really understand the part that social care plays in the overall health and social care system. Yeah, and I think when the new sort of health and social care levy was first announced, that's going to come into force in um, April next year, of course, at the beginning of the new tax year, it sort of showed, didn't it, the sort of lack of knowledge of how social care actually works. I mean, a lot of people did think, oh, it's publicly funded, but that's that's not the case, is it? And um, obviously now there are these reforms coming, but there's still concern within the social care sector that it perhaps isn't going to alleviate the problem with the potential of the NHS to sort of take up the majority of those funds yet again. 
Well, that's the bit, isn't it? That, that the social care levy is a beautiful example of, of this. So as a social care provider, we know that we're not going to see any of that money for at least three years, if ever. Yet, as an organisation, we have to contribute, um, both as an organisation and our staff, have to pay towards that social care levy. So on top of all the other cost pressures that we've got at the moment, we get to pay for money, more money that goes into the NHS. Yet the NHS is, um, as far as I understand, is exempt from paying that additional levy. So it's not a social care levy at all. It's a levy to enhance money that goes into the NHS. And when wages in social care also remain low as it is, and they're sort of paying out that extra money in national insurance social care workers, I mean, that doesn't do much to sort of make the sector any more lucrative, does it? No, it really doesn't help our really doesn't help our cause or our position, and it's just a lack of understanding of what it really costs to provide good care in a social care setting. So, if we just take the, the example of a hospital bed, it costs around four hundred pounds a day before any treatment is provided. Yet, the average cost paid by council for a care home bed is around five hundred and ninety-six for residential care and seven hundred and sixty-four pounds a week for nursing care. Um, how does that possibly um, stack up against four hundred pounds a day for a hospital bed before any treatment is provided? And I did a bit of a Google search in, in Cornwall. So if we just took the travel lodges in Orstall, you can have bed and breakfast there for a week, and that would cost you £407. Now, we know that bed and breakfast, um, the breakfast in a travel lodge is quite limited. So that's £407 a week without any care. And we are being offered, you know, between £590 and £764 for full-on care for people. The math just doesn't add up and it's so it's no wonder that we can't pay our staff better money and that a lot of providers are really struggling. Yeah, that's one side of the problem. And then I suppose for all that the government talks about trying to alleviate the staff shortage within social care, they've brought in the no jab, no job policy. And of course, that's hugely divided opinion over obviously whether taking the COVID vaccine should be mandated in a health and social care role or whether, of course, it should be down to personal choice again. And we've seen a lot of stuff jettisoned from the sector because they haven't gone forward for their vaccines. So that's just another issue that's sort of added to the uh, the fire, hasn't it? It has, and that's caused a huge amount of um, upset, really, around social care staff. So I'm completely supportive of the fact that if we are looking after vulnerable people, then our staff should do everything that they can to make sure we reduce that risk. Mm. And we've spent the last 18 months being told that we need to follow the evidence. So if the evidence is that staff um, present a risk to the people they look after if they're vulnerable, then that should have applied across health and social care all at the same time. But instead, it was targeted absolutely at social care staff. And now we find that uh, health staff have to have had their job by April. And that was deliberately moved so that um, they could get through the winter pressures. Well, if we're following the evidence, that's different to moving the goalposts because of the particular pressures of different sectors. So that unsettled our staff a lot. And across Cornwall, quite a few staff went left social care and went to work in health because at the time they knew they didn't have to have the jab 
And I know that's going to change, but yeah. in, in the sort of six months in between, that's a huge destabilizing impact on services. It is, and where this staffing crisis persists, I suppose there's the risk as well that social care providers are going to eventually have to streamline their service offering and actually reduce the number of people that it's caring for, and that's going to leave people who need care losing out even further, isn't it? Well, absolutely, and we're not alone in in having bed capacity in Cornwall that we can't open. So us amongst several other providers have got beds that we are having to sit empty with because we cannot safely look after people in those beds. And we know that the Care Quality Commission, quite rightly, would not expect us to take people that we weren't confident we could safely look after. But what that means is you've got the equivalent of a whole hospital's worth of beds um, scattered around the county that aren't being used because we don't have the staff to look after people in them. Now, when it comes to finding solutions to this sort of quite complex issue, um, we'll obviously get into how it's going to take all stakeholders coming together in just a moment. But in terms of a short-term answer to sort of help the industry in what is a very difficult environment, could maybe sort of a team of volunteers perhaps be one of those short-term answers to try and sort of tie the sector over in a sense. But even then, it's going to take some drive to try and get them on board, given how tough the role is. I think it'd be really useful to look at a combination of of, um, solutions. So one of those is to encourage volunteers to come and help in in care homes and in domiciliary care services. But what's really interesting is when the NHS puts out a call for volunteers, they get overwhelmed with the number of people that put their hands up, but people are Mm. much less likely to come and volunteer to work in, in a care home. And that's part of what I was talking about earlier is the narrative that we put out to the public about how important it is and how valuable that work is to come and work in um, in care homes and just do some of the softer work to release our trained carers to do the to do the higher skilled work spending time with people sitting with people while they're eating their dinner keeping people company or if they wanted to work more behind the scenes then they could work in the laundry or in the kitchen And with the number of COVID tests that we have to process and input every day, someone that would be really good at data inputting would take a huge amount of work off our care stock. Absolutely right. And um, you're calling, of course, along with many other social care providers in Cornwall for an emergency summit to try and address some of these urgent issues. Um, And that's obviously hopefully going to come before the full winter demand sets in over the course of the year, the next uh, couple of months. Um, With regards to the summit, um, what is it sort of in summary that you're hoping to achieve from it? And what are some of the key things that you're sort of asking for from this meeting, hopefully, if it goes ahead? What we're looking for is a a memorandum of understanding that that really pulls health and social care together and and focuses on a system-wide approach to dealing with some of these issues. So we would really like um, to have some discussion and agreement about risk management because while everybody is working under huge pressure, we are taking risks where we would You know, we are not always as staffed as we would like to be. Hospitals asking us to take people into our home to a sicker than they might have done another time. We're being asked to keep people in our homes and look after them who are sicker rather than having them admitted. And yet some of the support services that 
community nurses, community consultants, GP services that would normally prop us up aren't as accessible as they as they would normally be. So there's something very much about us sharing those risks, articulating them, helping the helping the public to understand exactly what's going on there. We're looking for wraparound wraparound support from the whole system so mm. that we underwrite that risk and we don't have individual care homes picked off or, or made to, made treated as examples in the press or with with CQC when something goes wrong because everyone's trying to pull together and make it um, you know make the best of a really challenging and difficult time. So we'd like our, we'd like uh, regulatory support from our from say from the regulators from the standards team and the council make sure everybody's on the same page. Yeah, certainly makes sense. And I suppose sort of shared double-pronged action on some of those staffing pressures and on funding as well would certainly help as sort of part of that. So when it comes to, for example, recruitment drives, we've seen millions spent on the NHS, but it's not exactly matching up in social care, is it? So I think there's got to be some kind of, you know, equilibrium there as well, hasn't there? Yeah, so we'd like any recruitment campaigns to be joined up to recruit for roles in health and social care and not just in the NHS. And uh, we'd like commissioners to commit to providing money to help us raise the salaries of social care workers to encourage retention and, and recruitment. But really, it's the, it's the recruitment angle. If you watch any recruitment um, advert for the NHS versus one for social care, NHS is much slicker. It talks about the high skill set that people have got, where social care seems to always refer to some kind of, um, you know, activity or, 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 or just keeping people happy. Whereas my nurses and care assistants are, are dealing with very high-end clinical skills, looking after people with uh, advanced dementia, people who have got problems with skin, in skin integrity, end-of-life care, pain management, there's a lot of skill there that's never mentioned in a social care advert. And I think people need to understand that that is the level of skill that our staff have. Absolutely right. And do you think at the moment as well, interestingly, just given that how this sort of crisis has been able to sort of develop, are social care providers sort of being shut out of key discussions when it comes to health and social care and therefore you need more inclusion in those discussions and sort of better communication to sort of make those hopes materialise in the sense that where, you know, there are recruitment drives for the NHS, you know, that sort of stuff is joined up. Absolutely. And as providers, we, we are never as represented as we should be. If we go back to the numbers that I spoke about earlier, mm. the numbers of care homes, there was a very tokenistic representation and very often the representation from social care is from an officer from the local authority rather than the providers themselves and we don't all, always agree on what the pressures and the solutions are. But I always um, draw the analogy to GPs so we would all always, GPs get spoken of as if they're part of the NHS, NHS staff. And they're not. They are private providers, private practices with a contract to provide services to the NHS. But there would never be a consultation that didn't include GPs at the table. Mm. And care home providers are no different. They are independent businesses because that's the way the market has been um, designed over the, over the years. But we have contracts with the NHS and local authorities to provide a service. And I don't understand 
why the narrative is not the same for us as it is for GPs. Yes, uh, because all the stakeholders in the health and social care system, I mean, they should all be viewed as equal, shouldn't they? I mean, they bring GPs to the table, as you say, when they operate essentially as private providers. But at the moment, it seems that social care isn't given that mutual respect, is it? It's not included. It's not being brought into these discussions. And I think that's something that really needs to change as a result of all of this. Absolutely, it does. And that's about the respect for the social care sector, right from the, the top all the way through to the people that are providing the services. Every, every single aspect of the social care sector needs to be better respected and better valued because that will mean that we can um, more easily recruit people and support the system. And when we do staff surveys with our staff and ask them what they want, they say they want recognition. And when you dig into that, it's not that they just want recognition from their manager on a day-to-day basis. They want recognition from the country as a social care worker that they are doing something that is incredibly valuable. And as I discussed earlier, without them, the health service is not going to manage to deliver the services it needs to provide. And need and pressure is going to only intensify, isn't it, um, when you say that? Because it's not just the fact that we're entering the colder months of the year, but we've also got the um, variable of a new COVID variant in the equation now as well. Obviously, the Prime Minister's talked heavily about the transmissibility of Omicron, how it has the potential to put more pressure on health and social care services. So there is a much more intense need for solutions now and this really needs to be sort of sat down talked about with everybody who's going to be involved very very quickly doesn't it because the winter is only getting closer well i think we're in the winter already and Mm. and and everyone's struggling as it is um i just can't really imagine how much how much harder it's going to get there's hardly any resilience left our staff have done 20 months of working additional hours giving everything they've got and I don't think people have got much left much more left in the tank and I was only reflecting a couple of weeks ago people were talking in in on the news and um in programs when we had a pandemic and we are still in this pandemic Mm. I think someone else said we may be done with the pandemic but it's not done with us and I think this new variant shows that it's still got many more tricks up its sleeve and yet again, we've had to look at, you know, how many visitors can come into our homes, whether people can still see their loved ones and how much testing we have to do with staff and the, the resource that it takes to test staff constantly to try and make sure that we can keep COVID out of our homes is, is, is really taking a toll on, on other resources to do other things. So the hours it takes to input all of the data, to manage all of that, demonstrate the proper audit trail and proper governance of testing properly is huge. And that's Mm. not going away. It's not. And I think it's also important to emphasise, isn't it, that this isn't just a cry for help from Cornwall where the, you know, there is an acute health and social care crisis, but this is going to be hitting the sector all across the country, isn't it? It is, but but somehow that whole presentation on the news hasn't joined it all up. So sometimes we hear about pressures in the north of England, sometimes we hear about pressures in Scotland, then we hear a little bit about what's going on in, in Wales, but it's almost as if we don't want to admit that the whole NHS is, um, is struggling and the whole system is struggling. We just need to join the dots, but this story is the same up and down the country. The 
um, the services are really struggling. People are not getting the care they need to get, whether that be in a long wait for an ambulance or whether it be in, um, you know, in waiting to have a social care package. But people are really struggling. But it's it's a countrywide issue. It certainly is, and there does need to be solutions, and there needs to be urgent dialogue to try and address the problem, and that's essentially what's not being forthcoming at the moment, but hopefully this summit that you're calling for in Cornwall is going to help resolve the issue on a local level. And before we sort of wrap up, Anne, I do want to sort of talk a little bit about where the future lies for you and for sort of the wider sector within the uh, the county. Um, ideally, um, if, of course, you manage to get everybody down to, to address these issues, thrash something out and hopefully try and come to some sort of solution, um, where would you like to see sort of the wider health and social care system in Cornwall by this time next year? What do you need to change now? I'd love to see it as a truly integrated approach to problem solving for the benefit of the people in Cornwall who need to access health and social care services, rather than this um, kind of disjointed arrangement that we've got at the moment. I think systems and funding get in the way of what's the right thing to do. So it'd be great if our integrated care system was able to truly deliver on innovative pathways where the money follows the problem and follows the person who needs support rather than is holding on to old methodologies for commissioning and old methodologies for judging whether people need need care. We spend an enormous amount of time trying to justify whether the care somebody needs should be funded by health or by the local authority. And I think all of those resources could be far better put to making sure that we, we have a joined up service that really meets the needs of the people. And it is a time of reform, as we know, with um, the new social care levy coming in next year. The government has planned a full review into the sector. Hopefully, of course, all of those things will be forthcoming. And if we do see those reforms indeed coming to pass effectively, what sort of role are you hoping and that Cornwall Care plays in this? And where do you see your provider by this time in 2022? Um, I see Cornwall Care as being a real leader in this space in helping to uh, shape new pathways, um, represent other providers, encourage and work with other providers. One of the um, one of the downsides of a kind of market approach is that we're all um, supposed to com- compete with each other and not speak to each other if we, if we possibly can help it. But there's such a shortage of supply that if we can have a... Um, have a have a space where we can all work collaboratively, mm. collaboratively together. Stop trying to. At the moment, we're just poaching staff off one another and going round and round in circles. If we could focus on the need, focus on collaboration, I think we can really make a big difference and drive better value out of the money that's um, currently being spent. Mm. And like I say, we've even seen sort of big pharma who are usually competitors with each other sharing their intellectual uh, property and capital to try and come to a solution with the vaccines and that's something that certainly happened in abundance over the last 18 or so months so it just goes to show that I know it's on a larger scale but it can be done can't it competitors can really come together to find these solutions and help each other absolutely it can but what we need is a longer term approach we need to move out of short-term commissioning and Mm. commissioning for the lowest price and really look at best value 
and enabling us to work with our with partner care homes. We've often got care homes, you know, from other providers within very short distances of ours, but because of the way we're currently commissioned, it's not um, it's not easily um, we're not easily able to work collaboratively together. But with a good integrated care system, we really could look at what 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 skills and strengths have we got that we could share more evenly across sector and make sure that people in Cornwall who need care can get the care they need close to where they live and not have to move around the county or mm. in some really sad situations have to be cared for out of county because then they're not near their families. Absolutely that's another critical issue in all of this as well isn't it and so I think you're absolutely right that integrated system is going to be essential for these reforms to both happen and happen successfully. Um, and I have to say, it's been a real pleasure welcoming you onto the uh, the program today to sort of get more of an insight as to what is happening in the health and social care sector locally, because it is an incredibly important issue. And I do hope at some point in the next year, we will be able to catch up on this show and all being well, we'll be able to talk about how some of those solutions are starting to transpire, because it's such an important issue and it cannot go on the way that it is, that is for sure. Absolutely, thank you. Um, and I just think if if what we've got going on now doesn't force change, then I don't know what will. But thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a real pleasure, and thank you again. And uh, hopefully, yourself and everybody tuning into today's interview um, all enjoyed the experience. And um, also, Anne, I do hope that you do have a very merry Christmas and enjoy the upcoming holidays. And hopefully, the pressure isn't too great during that time. Thanks ever so much. Um, I should add to all of those listening into today's podcast as well. Um, if you feel that you have your own story of success and innovation to share with us, or there is another big conundrum that you would like to bring to our attention here at the Leaders Council within your sector, then by all means do apply as well to be on the programme via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Um, I do hope that you all enjoyed listening to Anne Thomas of Cornwall Care to discuss the circle of health and social care in Cornwall. And until next time, take care and goodbye.